You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Hello, and welcome to SpyCast, from the secret files of the International Spy Museum in Washington, D.C. I'm Dr. Vince Houghton, the museum's historian and curator. Every month, the museum brings you interesting talks with authors, scholars, and practitioners who live in the world of global espionage. Join us as we take a closer look at the secret world of intelligence. Our guest today is Plato Gutierrez, an attorney here in Washington, D.C., and a partner in the firm Trout, Kacharis, and Janus. He is a graduate of the Georgetown University School of Foreign Service and received his law degree also from Georgetown University's Law Center in 1956 and has been a leading member of the criminal defense bar for over four decades. He worked originally as a Justice Department prosecutor helping Attorney General Robert Kennedy target the mob. He would later go to the other side and become a defense attorney. In his first major case, he served as co-counsel with Bill Hunley, for former Attorney General John Mitchell during the Watergate prosecution. He later defended Congressman Michael Ozzie Myers during Abscam scandal and was counsel for Fawn Hall during the Iran-Contra obstruction of justice investigation. Later, during the independent counsel's investigation of former President Bill Clinton, Mr. Kacharis represented Monica Lewinsky together with Jake Stein as co-counsel. For our purposes, he was also an attorney for CIA officer-turned-spy Aldrich Ames. FBI agent-turned-spy Robert Hansen, and DIA officer-turned-spy Anna Montes. Thank you, Mr. Kacharis, for taking the time to join us here at the International Spy Museum. I'm also joined by Executive Director of the Spy Museum, Peter Ernest, who will, with me, talk to Plato here today. Okay, great. Great introduction. Plato, is just delightful to have you here. Well, thank you for inviting me, Peter. Well, I'm you've honored. been a real supporter of the museum. You've been to a number of events, and I have to tell you, my first knowledge of you was, of course, I was a CIA officer, and your name kept coming up, not, <laughs> not in any professional sense, but because of these cases. I had supervised uh, uh, Ames. I, I, I was very well aware of the Sicilis case, and so Plato Kacharis became a name I was familiar with, and I'm delighted to have you with well, us thank this you. morning. Thank you. And uh, why don't you go ahead, and I know you had some questions, Vince. Start. Well, I think in a broad yeah. base, a lot of these cases are based on a law that is about to be 100 years old in, in its original form, and that's the Espionage Act right. of 1917. And you, you know, you Google your name, some of the several things that come up is expert in the Espionage Act, uh, if anyone can be. I mean, there's so many different variations of it now. What about Espionage Act cases are different than what the general public has seen in an average Law & Order episode? What, what makes them unique? Well, first of all, the crime itself is unique. Uh, and the people that uh, are supposed to have committed those crimes are, are unique in the sense that uh, they're highly intelligent, uh, cunning, if you will, and uh, 
the investigations done by principally the FBI and the CIA in some cases are intense because they take these uh, crimes very seriously. Are there limitations when it comes to defending a client who's been charged in the Espionage Act? Are there things where national security comes into play or you know, things you wouldn't see in an average murder case? Well, there are things that uh, you have to get a clearance uh, as a defender of an espionage case. And in that clearance, you have to uh, say that you're not going to disclose certain things publicly. So those are the limitations. Could I just uh, chime in with one question here, and that is, do you think that, that the law has, that, that that Espionage Act has been overused? That is, is it your general impression that it's being applied too broadly? Well, in my cases, no. <laughs> they, uh, and I understand <laughs> that you've worn two hats, the government hat and now the defense, and I understand well, and that. and the yeah. people that I have defended under the Espionage Act have been appropriately charged with espionage. I agree. You're talking about yeah. whether they reach out to other things. That's arguable, in my opinion. Your, your first major espionage case as a defense lawyer was a case involving a man named Herbert Bokenhaupt, yes. uh, who was an Air Force sergeant, um, and this is from the late 1960s. Yes. Uh, do you recall how that case played out, or, or what, what were the parameters of that case? He was an Air Force sergeant in Germany, and he... Uh, needed some money, so he approached the East Germans and was given them information. Uh, he was, interestingly enough, an inside uh, Russian gave up Bokenhop, dimed him out, if you will, if I may use that expression. And the fellow that did that was a fellow named Polyakov, Dmitry Polyakov. He was a a general in the, uh, uh, not the KGB, but the GRU. Now, interestingly, uh, Polyakov was uh, given up by both Ames and Hansen as a person working for us. And uh, when Ames gave him up, the uh, KGB and the Russians didn't do anything. But when Hansen gave him up, the Russians acted, arrested him, and executed him. So... Uh, Getting back to Bokenhaupt, uh, as a result of Polyakov giving him up, he was arrested uh, out in California. Unfortunately, uh, he sat and talked to the uh, arresting agents uh, interminably. Uh, even though he, they, a lawyer had been appointed for him out there, he permitted him to talk. And then he was transferred back here to Alexandria for trial. And that's when I got appointed to represent him. My first act was to try to get the uh, confession suppressed, which was impossible because he had counsel, and he did knowingly give up the information. But we went to trial, and he was convicted and received a 20-year sentence. Now, of all the espionage cases I've had, except for Susudis, which is different, uh, he was the one that got the lightest sentence, even though he went to trial, which is, I think, strange. And also... Uh, <clears throat> Plato there, did what, Did he get out earlier? I know there's no parole now in the federal court. Yeah, I think court. he did get out earlier. And right. I think he may have gotten yeah, out Yeah, but I, I haven't heard from him. No. And usually these guys don't want to talk to me afterwards. Yeah. I Although I do hear from Ames and Hansen about various issues they have with their incarceration, like their mail is not getting through quickly enough and going out quickly, and those kind of things. 
but I have not heard from him. Yeah. Just as a footnote to your comment on Polyakov, yes. uh, he was one of the most respected uh, sources that we had. That is correct. In CIA and in, in the Soviet East European Division, and as you know, he was he actually was retired, living in retirement, had grandchildren and so forth, when uh, Ames and Hansen uh, dimed him out, as you say. And uh, it really was a, a real shock to the agency uh, uh, when we lost. He was, very, he was a very respected source. He was highly respected and highly competent, and uh, that's one of the sad things of these cases, that he was to given up by uh, uh, two of our... Uh, people. And uh, there we are. You, you mentioned the case of Michael Sassoudis. Um, I, I, somewhere I read that you really ranked this as your your best victory, the, the, <laughs> your, your, or at least your, your best outcome of the case. Um, well, it was a good outcome because, uh, as you know, uh, he had a relationship with a lady in... Uh, uh, it was Ghana. Ghana. Thank you for helping me. And uh, the lady uh, was a CIA employee. Uh, she came back. Uh, she was given a uh, polygraph. She flunked it. And she confessed to having a relationship with Sasutis, who was related to the uh, ruler of uh, Ghana. I think he was a cousin. In any event, she uh, decided to cooperate with uh, our government, and she called Sasutis up and enticed him over. Uh, on some theory that she had some information for him. He came over and was arrested. And uh, that was that. As a result of that, uh, a number of uh, our assets in Ghana were arrested uh, and uh, placed in jail. And so I talked to the CIA general counsel. Um, was that uh, Sporkin? Stanley Sporkin, Stanley Judge Sporkin, Sporkin. Yeah, yes. Judge Sporkin. And we arranged, and with John Martin, who was running in the uh, Department of Justice, that if they would give up all of the assets that uh, they had taken in Ghana, that Sasudis could plead guilty and be immediately shipped back to Ghana. And that's what happened. So all of our assets arrived here. Stanley was a little perplexed by the number of people he had to, to deal with. And uh, Sassoudis went back to Ghana. Now, Ghana doesn't sound like it's a national security threat for the United States, but this is a relatively left-leaning government that perhaps passed information It was beyond. then. It was then. It was uh, very much uh, uh, attracted by the Russians. Yeah, and, and as I recall, I, what was he actually tried for? Sassoudis? What, yeah, what was the charge? Do you remember? No, you know, I don't remember. Because he was, in effect, what we would call in in, in spy terms, a recruiter. I mean, right, he, in effect, right, recruited right. her. Uh, these assets <clears throat> that were finally released that you mentioned <clears throat> became, of course, a huge resettlement problem for us. But um, I was just uh, interested as to what he actually... Sorry that I don't remember that, Peter, to be honest with you. It wasn't espionage, I don't think. Uh, it probably was a lesser charge. It was a lesser yeah. charge, yeah. Well, he sure. may have been, I mean, we can, this, this, this is a conversation that we can edit out. He may have been charged with uh, what the Cuban Five were charged with, in many cases, a failure to register as a foreign agent. 
Well, except well, except well, I suppose. Except that he wasn't a foreign agent. Yeah, here. he was in he was, Ghana. He was dealing yeah. in Ghana. But wasn't he arrested here in the United because States? Because she yeah. enticed him back. Yeah, so yeah, maybe yeah, that's yeah. how they. So he would have, as Vince says, he would have been acting as a foreign agent yeah. here. Uh, all the other, but he wasn't a U.S. citizen. He was visiting. Yeah. So I'm sorry I don't remember no, what the exact charge was. I'll have to look that up now. You've got me curious. <laughs> history now, Plato. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'd like to ask you about Lawrence Franklin because I think this is a, a case that people heard of this controversy, but perhaps not how it played out. Uh, Franklin was charged uh, with, uh, well, he worked for APAC, uh, American Israel Political Action Committee. Um, he was a lobbyist, and he was charged with passing information from the Department of Defense to the Israelis. Um, can you talk a little bit about how this played out? Well, when he came to us, he had already been charged. We didn't have a chance to negotiate anything. And so we uh, talked to the prosecutors about uh, Hanson and what uh, they wanted and what we wanted. And we ended up taking a plea, and he ended up getting uh, uh Basically, home confinement, or six six months home confinement, and uh, that was the end of that. Do you do you detect from from your long experience a difference in how we charge so-called spies or people through the Espionage Act when they're passing information to allies versus enemies? I mean, yes. he, yeah, he gave information to Israel, not to the Soviet Union. Yes, when it's the Soviet Union, it's pretty severe. Israel. They're friends of ours, allies of ours, and so treatment is different. If Franklin had been giving information to Russians, which he wasn't, I think his uh, sentence would have been much more severe, in my opinion. Is there a, you know, one of the things that's come more and more to the foreground with this present administration, the Obama administration, really having stepped up cases against so-called whistleblowers, I mean, this is the contention of the media, um, is it a crime for someone to talk to someone in the government and seek information about something that's classified? Just to solicit information? You mean for, for anybody? Uh, uh, well, to solicit it, in other words, to inquire into a subject <clears throat> that may be classified. I don't know that it's a crime to inquire. It's, of course, a crime to disclose. So if you On, on the part of the, of right. the, of the uh, government exactly. individual. Yeah. I think you can inquire, I think. Uh, I've never known it to be different, but uh, you can inquire, and I don't consider that a crime. In the case of Aldrich Ames, so let's 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 get to the. We've been beating around the bush a little bit with some of these other great cases, but the the big three, in my opinion, are Ames, Hanson, and Montez. Right. In the case of Ames, I I read somewhere when he found out, according to Washingtonian Magazine, which is a local magazine, that when he found out that you were appointed as his attorney. Apparently, in his, their words, he beamed and he said, quote, I was wondering what I was going to do for a lawyer, and I get Plato Kacharis, exclamation point. He, he said that. Yeah. <laughs> that, that. That case, how do you deal with someone where it's about as open and shut? I mean, this is a question for, I guess, any defense lawyer, but in the case of someone like Ames, who had such a huge impact on U.S. national security, um, how do you deal knowing that that individual is, is, there's not a lot of gray area in the Ames case. It's about as guilty as you can get. How does a defense lawyer at, uh, approach a case like that? Well, the Ames case had another f- feature to it, and that is that his wife was implicated. 
with him. She was a lady from Colombia, name was Rosario, and Ames was concerned about making sure that she was protected as much as possible. So with Ames, there wasn't the death penalty wasn't in place at the time. With Hansen, it was, which was a different feature, a factor. But with Ames, we negotiated a plea so that the wife got a relatively minor sentence. I think she got five years and then was sent back to Columbia and was told to stay there. And their son is down there now. He, they had a son together. So that was what our instructions were. Ames was basically, as you say, dead in the water. And um, uh, But we negotiated his wife down to five years. He was happy with that. I guess she was happy with that. I don't know. But uh, that was our thrust of our negotiations. Had you represented the wife or just no, Ames? we had to get separate counsel for the wife because we didn't think it was appropriate for us to represent both of them. Well, you certainly know from your long experience that one of the issues in particularly espionage cases is we may learn that someone, we may get their name, uh, much as you mentioned in the Polyakov case with uh, earlier. Uh, but there is a, a burden on the government to be able to prove. So sometimes there's a, a, a six months, a year or so between learning someone is committing espionage and being able to develop the that proof. That is true. And, uh, and the FBI is uh, very good in espionage cases. They can be criticized for some things, but they do their job when it comes to espionage cases. And uh, with uh, both Ames and Hansen, uh, they went to bat and got them both. My understanding is that uh, Ames is in a uh, in a prison where he is part of where he is in the pre the prison population. I think that's right. Yeah, traditionally, uh, I mean, if you read the literature, uh, prison populations have sometimes been very hard on people who've been accused of treason. Yeah, but he apparently, my understanding was, requested to be part of the prison population. Yeah, do you know anything about? How all this has worked out? I, I think he's doing all right. Uh, as I said, uh, I have communicated with him within the past month where he's complained about his mail. And uh, other than that, it seems to have uh, worked out all right. He hasn't complained to me about anything. Not that I could do anything anyway, but he hasn't. Uh, Hanson, I think, is still in severe lockdown. But I think he's in a maximum. He's in the and I'm not quite sure why the dual tree, why the... the different treatment for the two individuals? Uh, that's a good question, uh, except that Hansen was uh, FBI and yes. Ames was CIA, yes. so that may be the reason. We're talking about Hansen, let's yeah. talk about Hansen. Um, Hansen actually faced the death penalty. You, you kind of brought yes. this up. In fact, uh, Attorney General Ashcroft announced that he wanted to see what Hansen was going to say to determine whether the death penalty would be imposed. I objected to that because he's not supposed to say things like that. And so we negotiated, uh, and I made it clear to the prosecutors that if it was a death penalty, we'll go to trial. If they took the death penalty off the table, then we'd work something out, and that's what happened. You, you mentioned in an interview at some point that uh, if Hansen had been tried or if Hansen had been uh, convicted after 9-11, then you, you probably wouldn't have had that conversation. That is correct. And fortunately for him... Uh, we resolved the case just before 9-11. So. 
Anna Montes uh, was, is also one of your clients, uh, and Cuba is now uh, back in the headlines. Um, and certainly her uh, case is something that uh, is being brought back up again with the release of the last three of the Cuban Five. Right. Um, what she Do you look at her as a different type of client? Because as you've said in the past and as most people look at Montez, she's more of an ideologue than some of the other ones perhaps yeah. might be. Neither Ames nor Hansen nor any of the others were ideologues, but she truly believed in Cuba. And she never resented what she did. Uh, in fact, when she took her plea and was sentenced, she didn't apologize for what she had done. She was very, very fond of the Cubans. What can I say? So she was an ideologue. And believed in the cause. And, and believed, believed in the cause. And, and believed we were treating Cuba badly. Yeah, and but she was, <clears throat> she was sympathetic. But she, I think that's another case we, where we can say she was recruited. That is, I think the Cubans learned of her sympathies, and and I think that's played on that, and no. then recruited her. And, and one of the interesting things about that case is, I think at least her sister and her, maybe it's her brother, work for the FBI. They are FBI, you know, work right. on national security, that's true. which made it sort of. Different. <laughs> a very, a very awkward yeah, case, but very, uh, that's interesting. Yeah. So she never expressed any uh, regrets. Uh, no, any regrets. Never to me. Yeah, just to bring in the Ames case for a moment. Yes, please. There was that remarkable uh, situation in which Pete Early, the the author and right. journalist, gained access to Ames at the, in the in the jail down in Alexandria and, and conducted I don't know twenty interviews with him before the government stepped in and produced that. And it was a book that came out of that in which Ames has this long rationale about why he did what he did, which is really not supportive of communism or the Soviet yeah, government. It's money. <laughs> but, but it was sort of, you know, well, to promote understanding. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, that's the theme, as I recall, that he plays, that's played up in the book. Well, as I said, uh, both Ames and Hansen are highly intelligent. And they also believe that they can get away with things. And I think that uh, that's part of the game, too, uh, that they could do these things, whereas others might not do them. Are, are there any of your major cases? You, you, you seem to be incredibly effective at pleading some of these down to, to lesser sentences. Are there any of these cases that you just really wanted to go to trial, that you just were, were itching? Well, as, you, as I said earlier, I went to trial in Bokenhaut, but the others uh, didn't particularly want to go to trial because I thought they were losers. Uh, and in Hansen's case, if we'd gone to trial, he might have gotten the death penalty. So, no, I, I would say not. I, my one follow-up question would be, to what extent you can comment on the personalities of these two people. They were very high-profile Cases: one a CIA turn a turncoat, the other a, 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 a FBI turncoat. And as Vince noted, the the Ames case was it had an enormous effect on the U.S. on on the intelligence community, a real ripple effect <clears throat> that we felt right up to to today. In other words, more polygraphs and more agencies, tighter scrutiny, more background checks, and so forth. And that has been the case right up until Snowden which has now triggered even more uh, of those restrictive measures. And I, I'm just interested in what your comments might be on those two individuals. Well, uh, 
everybody knows that uh, Ames was an amiable alcoholic. He would go to lunch, come back three sheets to the wind, if you will. Uh, but in dealing with him, I found him very easy to talk to and, and amiable and well-liked by everybody. Uh, but that's, that's Ames. Hanson's a different guy. And by the way, Ames' father was in the CIA. Yes. Uh, Hanson, whose father was a uh, high-ranking police detective in Chicago, uh, was a little more uh, restrictive. He wasn't as open. Uh, he wasn't as amiable. Uh, he had a complex family situation. He, uh, he became a Catholic. Uh, his wife was supportive of him, didn't know what he was doing. Uh, and he, just like Ames, wanted to take care of his family. Both of them was, were really interested, and it's this interesting thing, to take care of their wives. In Ames' case, he wanted Rosario to get the lowest sentence possible, even though they were able to implicate her. And uh, in Hanson's case, he wanted her to get her pension, which she did. And she goes out and visits him in Colorado at least once a year. It's a long trip for her, but that she goes. And that's a strange dynamic, too. You brought up his Catholicism, and, and he was Opus Dei, or still is, I guess, which is, which is one of the more conservative bents of Catholicism. And you look at the Russians, and before that, the Soviets are staunchly atheistic. And, and a lot of people have that question about how do you, you know, how do you make both of these work at the same time? How is someone who is so religious? It's a good question. It doesn't fit. His religion was uh, apparently real or genuine, uh, but at the same time he was giving up secrets to the Soviets. He gave them uh, Holyakov, for example, just like Ames did. It's it's a hard question to answer, Vince. Uh, why anybody would do these things? There was the you know there was an effort to sort of psychoanalyze him, as it were. You know, people read the accounts of the case. Uh, his father apparently was very hard on him uh, growing up. Um, but certainly in Ames' case, Ames was given or promised a lot of money, two and a half million dollars, whatever it was. I don't have the impression that Hansen got that much money. In other words, it, do you, he got so, as, you remember he first volunteered uh, to the Soviets when he was in New York yeah. as a special agent. And uh, and then that was off for a while, as there was the story about you know his wife's brother finding uh, money and so forth. And then he didn't quote spy for a while, and then later he revolunteered. But was it? Do you have the impression that money was the motive? Was the prime motive? I think money was a big motive, uh, but I also think that he felt he could do it, get away with it. I think he felt, uh, and he was very intelligent. Yeah, that, that was one of the comments that he he was sort of never quite one of the boys in the bureau, and this was sort of his way of being the smartest guy in the room and no one knowing but him what his real secret was. Do you you do you see that as a that, possible? I agree moment? with that. Yeah. I agree with that. I agree with that. Because you constantly see conversations about the fact that he thought he was smarter than those that were above him. And, uh, in a lot of ways, he was, <laughs> but he got caught. So, I, I I'm I'm interested, uh, Plato, if you have any comments on what we're seeing as 
what are undoubtedly going to be more spy cases coming out of this whole cyber business and what is going on. I don't know if you, I don't know if you have any comments on that, if you've had occasion to deal with it as a with subject. That yet, Peter. Uh, I'm getting a little uh, long in tooth myself, you know, so they don't call me quite as often as they used to. I don't think you're out of the game yet, Plato, by no means. I still go to the office. <laughs> you look great. Do you, do you see um, a resurgence in uh, your, we, we talked a little bit about the fact that you see more and more, certainly in the Obama administration cases, under the Espionage Act. Um, is this a trend you expect to continue, or is it a one-off for the Obama administration, or do you see that the events of 9-11 or of, you know, what Peter just brought up, cyber or more whistleblowers? Sorry for me to answer that, Vince. I just don't know. Uh, I, I think it might continue under a new administration. So there we go. But that's just an opinion. <laughs> well, Plato, it's been just great having you Thank in you today. Thank you so me. much for joining us. Yeah. We look forward to continuing this dialogue with you. And we'd like to know if you have any comments or questions on today's SpyCast. You can get in touch with us through email at spycast at spymuseum.org. Thank you, and we will see you next month.